Job chapter 30 then this morning, please. Job in the chapter 30. He's returning to the Word of God. A note of thanks to Phil and Beverly Mitchell for the organization of last night and their team. And a good night was enjoyed by all. And we're thankful indeed for the opportunity of held even at Fellowship Evening. But appreciation to all those who helped put that on. Job in the chapter 30 then, we come to this, the final of our considerations in the life of Job. And of course, as we come, skip right through here to chapter 30, we're skipping over a lot of material. And indeed, as we finish out this morning, we won't come to the end of the book either. Uh, But nevertheless, such is the nature of the study in which we embarked upon, and we pray that the Lord will bless our considerations, and indeed the little thoughts that we have taken from this great book, that they'll be blessed to each of our hearts, and perhaps motivate us and encourage us just to delve a little deeper ourselves into the message of this book, and into all that's contained, even as the Bible records the ups and downs of Job's life in this season that God permitted to enter in, even to try him, to test him, but in the end to better him and to bring him to that more blessed position than he could ever have imagined, nor indeed heretofore had ever experienced. Nevertheless, we come to this 30th chapter. We're going to read together just a handful of verses, but keep the Bible open because we will be referring to verses both in chapter 30 and chapter 31 as time permits this morning. The Word of God says, But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. Yea, where too might the strength of their hands profit me, in whom old age was perished. For want and famine they were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time desolate and waste, who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat. They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them as after a thief to dwell in the cliffs of the valleys and caves of the earth and in the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed. Under the nettles they were gathered together. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. And now am I their song. Yea, I am their byword. They abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not to spit in my face because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me. They have also let loose the bridle before me. Ending our reading there at the verse 11. As we come to this chapter, we come to a further lament, a further reflection of Job. Now, in the chapters that have uh, uh, followed our considerations last week and have brought us then to this chapter 30, there's been much toing and froing between him and the three friends who gathered with him. Indeed, they were also joined by another by the name of Elihu, and he too shared a little wisdom, as it were, into the situation, sought to speak uh, with authority in matters that he didn't really know too much about, nor indeed had the ability, the God-given ability, to be discerning about. But nevertheless, the Bible records them for our consideration. Why? Because it reminds us, one and all, that we must not be too hasty to speak. Very often there are situations that arise in our own lives, and indeed in the lives of others, and many of us feel that we're well-placed, indeed best-placed, to provide a commentary about it all. But God's Word reminds us that that is not so. 
And so, as time permits and as the Lord guides, perhaps you could delve into those chapters and remind yourself, as Job's friends came to discover, that many times everything just isn't as it seems. And there is a purpose, there is a reason, there is a plan to suffering, to trial, and to trouble that many of us, if not perhaps even all of us at times, miss because these things belong to God. But nevertheless, as we come to this further lament of Job this morning, we come to consider the message of hope in the midst of all this trial. And I want us to think about firstly this morning, why has hope almost gone? Why has hope almost gone? It would be a misrepresentation of the truth to seek in any way to paint a picture of a hopeful Job right throughout this book. He was a man who felt the pain and the anguish of loss in a very evident manner. He struggled with adapting in even a small way to his newfound reality. And he is one who we will note as we read through the chapters of this book has hit rock bottom time and time again. Indeed, if we were to reflect on Job's own testimony of how he feels in it all, we do well to take note of his reflection in chapter 7 and verse 6, for he says there, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. That's Job's own testimony of his life. That's That's Job's own testimony of his current predicament. But nevertheless, as we arrive at this 30th chapter, And as we have read a little of the outpouring of grief that once more fills this chapter and the catalog of his complaints, the catalog of his sufferings, we see again one who is clearly without hope. One in whom no trace of hope is hard to discern. Nevertheless, I assure you that as this chapter progresses and as chapter 31 follows, this is exactly the point that he will arrive at a man who is filled with hope. Remember, the Bible describes him as a patient man, one who endured. And so without doubt, then, this record of endurance contains within it the highs and lows of life. His example of patience leads him to a hope, but it's not a quick journey. It's not very evident as the chapters come and go just how that is emerging, but nevertheless, Scripture records that it is there. But as we come to this chapter 30, we survey a scene right now in this moment that hope is almost nowhere to be found. And the reasons for that are easily identified. Clouds of despair have entered in. The mists of sorrow have taken hold and enveloped this man on every hand. And we as outsiders who are looking in, we behold all that has and is continuing to occur in his life. We're listening to all that he has and continues to say. And hope is hard to trace. Hope, we say, is almost gone. As this chapter continues the laments of Job, we see here that he is focusing very much on how his calamities have made him appear before his enemies, before those who ultimately despise him. 
And notice there in the verse that we ended our reading uh, at this morning when he says, because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. He is, as it were, laying the blame squarely at the feet of God. For all that he's come to and for all that he's experiencing, Job is saying in this moment, God is the author of my calamity. God is the reason that I'm experiencing all of these sorrows and indeed this continuing of sorrows. Go on into verse 12 to 15 and we see how that he testifies then and that his enemies have had their way with him. Upon my right hand rise the youth, they push away my feet. They raise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They came upon me as a wide breaking in of waters and a desolation. They rolled themselves upon me. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as a wind, and my welfare passeth away as a cloud. He's been attacked. He's been constantly thwarted. He's been constantly frustrated in attempting to rebuild or to move forward in any small or any meaningful way. And all of this has simply served to further compound his sorrow. Look at verses 16 to 19. It tells us, Now my soul is poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me. My bones are pierced in me. In the night season and my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my disease is my garment changed. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He hath cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. Here he testifies that he's further discouraged by his own frailties, his own human weakness. He is a man unable to get any peace. He's a man unable to find any rest. He is someone who is humbled and ashamed because of his suffering. Read in verse 20 to 23, I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel to me with thy strong hand. Thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to ride upon it and dissolvest my substance. For I know that thou wilt bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Here he continues to attribute blame to God. God, he believes, has forsaken him. God has relentlessly afflicted him. God is cruel, he says, and so because he was experiencing this at the hand of God, inevitable death would arrive very soon. Read on in verse 24, Howbeit he will not stretch out his hand to the grave. Though they cry in his destruction, did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. When I waited for light, there came darkness. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of affliction prevented me. I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and cried in the congregation. I am a brother to dragons and a companion to isles. This is simply the cry for deliverance. This is a yearning for the tide of sorrow and trouble that he is experiencing in every moment of every day to turn. 
Now notice in verse 30 and 31 the contrast that he makes. My skin is black upon me. My bones are burned with heat. My harp also is turned to mourning. My organ into the voice of them that weep. He testifies of something which is healthy. Contrasts it to something which is not. And so the grim present reality that he is experiencing is far removed from the remembrance of who he was, of what he was, and of what was his reality before God allowed all of this. So we come to the end of chapter 30 and you ask yourself, where is hope? Where's Job's hope? Now once again, I know It's true to say that in some way, at some level, every one of us can identify with Job. We've all experienced those moments in life when bitterness enters in. Because bitter moments have come and they've struck at our very core. When pain and heartache is nigh overwhelming and where we have said inaudibly or audibly, why do I have any reason to have hope? Nevertheless, remember the question posed and the point. Where is hope gone? Why has hope gone? Do you know that the answer is simply life? Life. The burdens of life. The tragedies of life. The bitter seasons of life. Life. That's why it so often appears that hope has gone. But notice not only with me, why has hope gone? But consider secondly with me, what never changes when hope has almost gone? What never changes when hope has almost gone? Now very easily we can relate this to times whenever someone loses their job. Times whenever someone's spouse passes away. Times whenever a child is wandering far from God, showing no care or concern for their soul. Times whenever friends desert you. Times whenever a marriage crumbles. Times whenever you come to illness. Times whenever accidents enter in and these have life-changing circumstances. But what never changes in all of those moments is you. You never change. Who you are and the caliber of Christian you are and indeed you're standing before God. These things never change. Circumstances always change. But in a change of circumstances, the fundamental you is unaltered. 
And the only way that you, the fundamental you, can be changed is as a result of the choices you make whenever trouble and trial come in, whenever tragedy is faced. Whenever these things arrive at your door, are you going to be someone who allows a root of bitterness to find fertile soil in your heart? Are you going to be someone who manifests the fruit of anger, of hate, of spite, or of malice in such times? Are you going to do what the Bible exhorts us through the example of Job to do? Wait patiently. Endure patiently. And allow the fruit of hope to be cultivated in your heart. That's the choice you make. That's the choice you must make every time trouble comes. Job chose to wait. He chose to allow God to work in his life. So we come to chapter 31. He's realizing that in despite of all that has happened, in despite of all that has been said, and in spite of a lookout that's clouded by pessimism, some things have not changed in his heart and his life. We don't have time to read down through them all today, but take a note of them, if you will. For in verses 1 through 4, he identifies that his purity has not changed. In verses 5 through 7, he identifies his integrity has not changed. In verses 9 through 12, he identifies that his fidelity or his faithfulness has not changed. In verses 13 through 15, he identifies that his impartiality has not changed. Verses 16 to 23 deal with his charity, his love for his family, his love for others. That has not changed. Verses 24 through 28, he identifies even true humility in his life. That has not changed. Verses 29 through 34, he also deals with with hospitality, his care, and his practical concern for others, that too has not changed. You know, the psalmist knew what it was to testify of such truths in his life. In Psalm 31, the psalmist says in the verse 3, Thou art my rock and my fortress, Therefore, for my name's sake, lead me and guide me. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and fear to mine acquaintance, they that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. And here in Psalm 31, the psalmist, as it were, is putting himself very firmly in Job's shoes. 
He's identifying those moments whenever it seems that all hope is gone. He's identifying something that has entered in in which everything seems to have unraveled and where he once knew, he knows no longer. The position, the respect, the regard that he once had, he knows no longer. Indeed, as he looks to the future, he's skeptical in any capacity whether there can any good come out of what he's facing. That's where he's at in Psalm 31. But in verse 24 of that psalm, he says, Be of good courage. He, God, shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. And this marks the turning point in this experience for the psalmist, for as it were in a series of psalms that we believe follow one after another chronologically in his life's experience, not just in our Bibles, but in his life's experience, he goes on to say then in verse, or Psalm 33 and the verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy." to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. In Psalm 38, he identifies trouble and affliction once more. But he says in the verse 15 of Psalm 38 that he says, In thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. And then in Psalm 39, in the verse 7, he says, Now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. And so Job was someone who knew what it was to come to trial and trouble, face despair in every hand. The psalmist knew what it was to come to trouble and face despair in every hand. But these two men record in the Holy Scriptures that which has been preserved for our learning, that which has been given to us as a roadmap for life and as an example to follow. Both of these men testify of an unfailing hope in God. They could have been overwhelmed. They could have sat down in the way. They could have despaired to the point of giving up in church and giving up in serving God and giving up in living a life that was separate even from the world in which they were placed. But what did they do instead? They hoped in God. Why? Because them, the fundamental you, as it's being referred to these men, it never changed. Everything else around them changed, but who they were and who they believed in never changed. And I tell you, that is still the roadmap out of trouble. That is still the pattern to apply whenever despair enters in and whenever everything is unraveled in a moment and whenever there's more questions than answers, do not allow yourself to be changed. Hope in God. Preserve your integrity and preserve your testimony. So in days of affliction and trouble, remember some things never change who we are in Christ. No man shall pluck us out of the Father's hand. There's now no condemnation, therefore, to them who are in Christ Jesus. How much he loves us never changes. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions they feel not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. It's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait upon the Lord. Where we are going never changes. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The Lord Jesus Christ goes on to say that where I am, there ye will be also. Titus 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, where we are going never changes. 
So some things never change, even when all of life's circumstances do. Thirdly and finally, a simple one, one you can answer for yourself, who to turn to when hope is almost gone? God. God. While you could have answered it, I ask you the question, do you do it? Whenever you're faced with those moments, whenever you're filled with despair, whenever things aren't quite going the way that you hoped they would go, whenever life isn't just panning out the way that you'd hoped or planned for, do you turn to others or do you turn to God? So we all know the academic answer. But do we all apply the practical steps and turning to God, relying upon Him? The one attribute that Job highlights of himself stands out above everything else in this chapter if we had time to go through it is simply His integrity. He says in verse 6, Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. It was, of course, his integrity the devil was after. He desired Job to deny God, to curse God, and to die. But it was his integrity which he maintained and which held fast through it all. Job's integrity, I believe, was founded and rooted in confidence. He was confident there was a God. He was confident that he had a relationship with God. And he was confident that somewhere, sometime, God would vindicate him. Job was confident that God, the righteous judge, would do right. And that confidence gave him hope. And whilst that confidence remained, then hope was to be found. Hard to trace, but always to be found. And so I remind you this morning, dear friend, that life can so often be hard. And circumstances can so often be challenging, indeed overwhelming. There will be heartache and there will be pain to experience along the way. And you may be here even this morning and say, I feel like I have no hope. But Job's testimony, his experience teaches us just as we've been saying right from the beginning of our Bible covenant study, that even when you can't trace God's hand, you can always trust His heart. There's always hope with God. And so when life is overwhelming, learn to say, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I.